service today, but I just pulled my bookmark out of my Bible, so we'll see if I can find that passage again, right? Um, I'd like to bring one other thing to your attention, uh, something that the deacons and the elders have been working on throughout this year. We've um, been in Father in heaven, we, um, we love you so much. We are so thankful for um, your love for us, for your calling of us, that, that you chose us to be your, uh, your servants, your hands and your feet. We thank you for this church and for allowing us to be a part of it. For the, the church as a whole throughout the world that, that, um, uh, that you are doing a great thing and you have a heart for people. You have a heart for the world. We thank you for your son Jesus Christ who died on the cross in our place, giving us life, giving us eternity, giving us forgiveness and redemption. In this time as we turn our attention to your word and, and continue our worship by by uh, studying the Scripture, uh, it's my prayer that you'd help us to understand these things and that we would live it out in a manner that we would walk with Jesus and glorify and honor Him in what we do and what we say. So please teach us as we continue in our series in Colossians. Amen. Well, you know, Christians have been in a sharing a journey for the last 2,000 years, seeking to help one another grow in our relationship with Christ. Uh, this is it's part of the Great Commission that Jesus left His disciples, and that's why we are passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known at Dwitty Free. And we do that as we help people do three things. We help them connect with Christ. That's the evangelism part of things. We help them grow in their faith. That's the part that Jesus mentioned about observing all that He commanded us to do. And, and also three, as we love our God, that's worship. We should be passionate about following Jesus. We should be passionate in each one of our lives, not just for our church, but each one of us would be passionate about following Jesus, knowing Him, making Him known, and helping people do these three things. But you know, over the last 2,000 years, and if we're honest with ourselves, over the course of each one of our lives, uh, we oftentimes have let ourselves get in the way of that journey. I know that there are times where I've let myself get in the way of that journey of knowing Him and following Him as I ought. Don't we? You know, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul and Timothy, they write to the Colossians about growing in Christ. And, and they, they now confront head-on some of the things that were being presented by false teachers in this city of Colossae. And whoever these people were, they were presenting a method these false teachers were presenting to the Colossians a method for growing closer to God. Isn't that what we all want to do? I mean, how could this be bad, right? Because they're just they're encouraging people to know God and, and to walk with Him and, and to have a relationship with Him in a special way. And, and Paul and Timothy write to the Colossians and they say, the method that they are presenting to you, these rituals and the experience and the rules, that they are all planted in the wrong soil. And so in chapter 3, Colossians is going to turn our attention next week and the weeks following to what it it looks like to live in Christ. But before we turn our attention to that that picture of living in Christ and what that entails, he's going to give us one last warning of these false spiritual methods that hinder us from a greater growth in our relationship with God. And We can look at the historical context, which we're going to touch on today, but I also want us to consider what does this look like in our culture and what does it particularly look like in Christianity today? How are we doing these same things or tempted to do these same things that I as a a believer who wants to follow Christ 
that I need to watch, watch out for and be careful of. And we're going to see that spiritual growth that is based on ritual, it restricts, it restricts you to an imitation. Spiritual growth that is grounded in experience, it robs you of your prize. And spiritual growth that's dependent on rules denies you of the power of a living walk with Jesus. Greater growth lived in Christ, it rewards the believer with treasure and glory. I remember as a young Christian always feeling very guilty, particularly when I was in high school. Uh, I experienced a lot of guilt in my life as a young believer. And that guilt came as a result of, of youth group. My youth pastor, sorry, Jared. But um, yeah, every week, my youth pastor was talking about you know, how important it was that I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus. Are you spending time reading your Bible? Are you memorizing with us? And, and the answer, the honest answer to all that is I, I wasn't. I, I thought I loved the Lord. I, I had come to know Christ several years earlier, but I just wasn't progressing in my faith with Him as far as, as I ought to have been. I, I hardly ever read my Bible. My, my prayers were basically requests for God to get me out of a bind. And, and I felt those inadequacies in my life. Anybody else ever been there? You know, we, we look at, at how, how we are, look at the shortcomings in our growth with Him. And, well, the focus of my Christian growth, it, it had revolved around stuff that I needed to do, but I just I was not doing. And so that went on like that for a few years. And there were times where I'd read my Bible, there were times that I'd pray, but there was just no consistency in it. And my growth was pretty stifled because of that. But then it was in my junior year. I read a book by Elizabeth Elliot called Shadow of the Almighty. I think some of you ladies are actually reading that right now. Um, but it was the biography of her husband who had died um, trying to share the Gospel with the Alca, the Alca tribe in Ecuador. And uh, largely, it was a book that was his, his journal writings. His personal journal. And I think that I realized during that time that, that my priorities were on a lot of things besides loving Jesus. And, and so that book really grabbed a hold of my attention and my need to take my faith seriously. It, a faith that was very real, but, but was limited by, by me not really cultivating my relationship with Jesus. And so I started reading my Bible every day. I started journaling, and basically I, I, I wrote out my prayer to the Lord every day. I talked to Him about, about my struggles. I, I wrote to Him about what I was learning from His Word. Uh, I told Him what he, he meant to me, and I, and I did that every single day without fail for about three years. And, and it took time, and it took energy, and, and it took commitment by my, my love for Jesus and my thirst for His Word and spending time with Him. It, it grew as I, as I walked with Him. But, you know, throughout that time, there were, there were days when I, I loved other things more than Jesus. And there were other things that took His place, and, and really they were more important, and you could tell that by the amount of time I invested in it. Video games, uh, my friends, making money, spending money, a lot of candy over those few years. And, uh, but before I went to bed, I would open up my Bible, I would read and I'd write my daily letter to God and follow through on my commitment. In fact, on many of those days, it would be 11.55 p.m. And, and I'd quickly get my devotions in. Ha! I, I beat the clock. And I checked the box. 
Then I went to college and things got busier. Homework kept me up late. But there were many of those days that midnight would be approaching and I would set aside my studies to, to make sure that I didn't miss my duty. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't always like that. Some days were, were sweet worship and, and wonderful time just absorbing His Word. But there were a lot of days and, and the busier I got, the more, the more busy I got, the more there were days that it just became an item that I was checking off rather than actually spending time with my Savior. The one that I love. And on those days, I, if you think about it, I really wasn't spending time with him. I was just checking off a box. Until one day, I, I, it really hit me and I realized that it was no longer about me loving Jesus. My devotions were just something that I had to do. It was just a tradition that I had kept. So a, a good tradition. Something that we should be doing as believers because that's where we we find truth and that's where He teaches us about Himself and teaches us about ourselves and about Himself. But um, as I sat there, I realized that it had become a record that I couldn't break. And so one evening at 11.55, I sat on my bed and on purpose I watched the seconds tick away. I said, you know what? This is not going to be about checking off the box today. And I let the 24-hour period extend and break my record so that it wasn't any more about following a tradition. I would choose to love Jesus rather than my own self-made religion. And then, at 12.01, I told Jesus how much I loved Him. I opened my Bible and I read His words and I wrote my prayer journaled and and I spent some real time with my Savior. It was an important lesson that I had to learn. It was an important lesson that I I personally I had to choose. Is he following Jesus? Is he growth based on rituals restricts you to an imitation? When when our spiritual growth is based on rituals, whether they're long rituals that are outdated and have nothing to do with growing in Christ, or whether they're real rituals like our daily devotions, if, if our spiritual growth is merely based on those rituals and the things that we do, then it's going to restrict you to an imitation. Following Jesus means that we love Him and our spiritual growth in that relationship it sprouts not out of the rituals, but out of our love for Christ. And often we, we just get in the way of that by loving our rituals more than we love Him. Many times the rituals can be good. They can benefit us. Traditions give us boundaries. Oftentimes they establish patterns. A lot of you have patterns that you do every single day and that's a great thing. Don't, don't stop doing it just because I said get rid of rituals. Sometimes they're great and they give you the boundaries and some structure in your life. But if those traditions become more important than you've lost sight of or your love for your Savior. As soon as those boundaries become the object of our worship, then we are merely restricting ourselves to a copy. It's a counterfeit, an imitation. Look at chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 16 and 17. In Colossians 2, verse 16, Paul continues this in what we've been looking at, and he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. One of the elements of the false teaching in Colossae, it appears to be that it was very focused on Jewish law and, and rituals. Within the Old Testament, God had given the nation of Israel a lot of laws. Laws that were good. 
laws that were given to them to help them establish their relationship and to give them those boundaries of what, what it looked like to walk with Him. Many of those laws were part of a legal code. Right and wrong, don't do this. Don't, you know, we have our pit bull laws today. They had laws of the goring ox. It's good to not let your animals kill people, right? So a lot of those laws were based on very moral principles. Um, and a lot of those laws were, had to do with instruction for their religious worship. Uh, how to be clean and unclean for their services and, and what it meant to be ready for, for um, coming to different festivals. But over time people started adding to God's law. They started saying, you know, we love God's law. We want to obey Him. And at first, that was the idea, is that they wanted to, they loved God's law so much that they, that they created some other rules to prevent them from overstepping the boundary. If, if, if God says, don't do this, if we expand that a little bit and, and say don't do these things, then we won't come, even come close to breaking God's law. And so in that way, they were trying to love the Lord and, and to love His law. But over time, those boundaries started to grow and those rules and those traditions began to become overwhelming. And then those boundaries became more important than the law itself. And the rituals became more important than the relationship. And the law itself became more important. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I'm glad I was not standing there. <laughs> oh, Tam, Cindy, just, just leave them. If they... I don't want you being by it when it pops. You know, so let's just all know that it looks like one is swelling there, and I don't want Cindy going close to it. All right? So we're going to have another noise here in a few moments, and that's okay. Because five of you were asleep already. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know... God puts things in our lives to keep us on our toes, doesn't He? I'll ask you later what's in that because I want to do that again. That's just God's way of making sure that we're not putting our own boundaries around things that we start worshiping, right? No rituals. Well, that's not going to be a new one. Except for today when we've got two more. Well, in the Old Testament, you see, those boundaries, they, they became more important than the law itself. And the rituals became more important than, than the relationship. And so, you see, the Colossians, they, did I turn this off? Can you hear me okay? Are we on? Okay, good. Um, the Colossians were being told that in order to grow closer to God, that, that they as Gentiles had to, had to follow certain Jewish rituals that they had to keep. Mostly they had to do with dietary laws and uh, regarding Jewish holidays. In the New Testament, Jesus taught the disciples that, that He fulfilled the law. And, and, and they were specifically told regarding many of those laws, um, you can now eat what the Jews were told they couldn't eat. Pigs and, and ostriches and other forbidden fruit like Twinkies and carbs. Now that's Okay. And he's not saying that watching what you eat or going on a diet's a bad thing, but it, what, he, what he is saying, uh, and he wasn't saying that the law was bad. In fact, David, David's saying, oh, how I, I love your law. 
But why was it that He loved the law? It's because the law pointed people to Christ. In the Old Testament rituals, they were all there to introduce people to a relationship with a God who dwells in our midst. And then Jesus came to earth. And He lived and He walked and He breathed here with us. He literally, physically, in a body, dwelt in our midst. And He became 100% man while still being 100% God. And when He sent the church out into the whole world, the people of God broke through the boundaries of the nation of Israel. And the Passover was no longer required for the church because Jesus was the Passover Lamb. The Day of Atonement was no longer a yearly day of fasting because Jesus had paid for our sins once for all. You ever seen a shadow on a wall though? He talks about a shadow and and substance here. He's getting into a little bit of philosophical Plato stuff. Sophocles. Anybody ever seen a shadow on the wall? Okay, there's a few nods. Some people are awake now. All right, And uh, maybe, maybe even what you saw was a reflection in a window. And it was a reflection of someone that you love. What would you do if you were waiting for the love of your life and after a one-month-long absence, you haven't seen each other for four weeks, what would you do if they came up behind you and you saw, before you actually saw them, you saw their reflection in the glass? You saw the shadow. Would you run to the glass and embrace it? Would you hold on to the shadow and, and try to, to, to grab the reflection in the window? Doesn't make sense, does it? Or would you hold, you would you turn around and, and hold on to your fiance and never let her go again? And Paul says, look, the, the rituals, the Old Testament law, those were the shadows. That was the reflection in the window, but Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is the substance. Anything else is just an imitation. The shadow is good because it points to the real thing. The shadow, the reflection, is good because it tells you where the real one is. But be careful not to love the shadow more than you love, more than you love the substance. Now, most of us are not too worried about Old Testament dietary laws. I get that. Not many of you looked up what time sunset on Friday so that you could keep the Sabbath. I don't know of any of you who went out in October and you, you cut down several branches and you built a tent for your whole family that you camped in for a whole week just to remember the Exodus. Anybody here do that this last year? All right, so we're not exactly concerned about some of these laws that, were, that the Colossians were told, told you, have, you have to obey this. But we do have some of our own rituals. We do have some of the laws and rules that, that we've built in our own life. We do communion in a certain way. One of the biggest laws and rules and rituals we have in our church is if you go in the kitchen, you'll see there's three little racks that, that we hang the, the wet towels on and they swing out. The number one law at Dwitty Free is don't stick those things outward because Pastor Jeff goes to wash his hands and they're right at forehead level and he sticks his head right into that little metal thing. Turn into windows. No. We have our rituals, don't we? And some of those are silly rituals. Some of those are just the way we set up our chairs. But a lot of them are more important. We talk about the importance of reading our Bibles, and we encourage you to develop a quiet time for prayer and for Scripture. On the back of your sermon notes, you'll find just some ideas just to get you started. I include some psalms for each day just to get that ritual started in your life. Because those traditions are good. 
But don't ever forget that your quiet time and your prayer life and the, and the things that you do to build consistency in the way that you walk with Jesus, that those are just the shadow. Those are just the reflection in the window that tells you about the real thing. A lot of these rituals are helpful, but as soon as you embrace the ritual and love it more than you are willing to turn around and hold on to Jesus, then you've restricted yourself to an imitation, to something that was only supposed to point you to Jesus in the first place. And I'm not telling you to abandon your quiet times. Please don't do that. Don't, don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop doing daily in the Word. Um, these are great things. But make sure that it's Jesus that you love rather than the thing that you're doing. Be careful to let your love for Christ be what drives those traditions, not the other way around. Also note, truth number two, that growth grounded in experience robs you of your prize. We, we live in a culture that, that's very driven by experience. Anybody else notice that? experience drives so much of what we do if i can't feel it if i can't be entertained by it if i can't use it to introduce me to something new and something different then we tend to just lose interest really quickly in fact we even we even get upset these days when i can't clip on that little button that says skip ad after five seconds if i have to watch all 15 seconds of a commercial so that i can watch the rest of my youtube video i get really frustrated what is with that i remember a time the audacity of that right i remember a time when commercial breaks were long enough that you could use albano and stop for a soda on the way back and we get frustrated by these things today experience we live in a very experience-driven society and we are often tempted to ground our spiritual life and our spiritual growth in that same kind of experience and experience-driven creeds. And you are going to continually be bombarded with distractions that promise you a more entertaining experience than reading your Bible or walking in obedience. The world of false teachers is going to tell you that, that Jesus still, he just, He's just not enough. Here, let us offer you something new that sparkles. And the same thing was happening in Colossae. The false teachers were promoting a form of, of asceticism and, and mysticism that, that appealed to a false sense of humility. They were promoting this worship of angels and they were going into great detail about, about visions that they saw that they were having. And it all cried out, look at the experience that you can have if you come over here. Move beyond Jesus and, and come try something new. We've got some stories to tell you. We've got some information about angels that aren't in the Bible. The reality of living in this world during this lifetime, it, it, it really, you guys, it, you feel it, don't you? We, we long for eternity. There's something that's missing here. And, and so we try to fill that with other experiences during this life. But, but ultimately, what we have to recognize is that we long for eternity. We're looking forward to spending time with Him, to walking with Him for eternity, and, and seeing what the, the other side of heaven looks like. We look forward to being in His presence, to worshiping Jesus face to face, side by side with, with angelic beings that we can see and participate with. And as we talk about those things and talk about angels and heaven, we get curious, don't we? 
You ever curious about what heaven's going to be like? What those experiences will be? You ever get curious about how many different kinds of angels there are and, and what their names might be and how they do what they do? It's natural. And we believe that there are spiritual beings called angels. He's talked about that a couple times here in Colossians. We've been talking about it in Daniel as well right now upstairs in our Sunday school class. These angels, they exist. Uh, probably they're active in some way right now here in our midst that we just can't experience with our senses. And we can't count how many are present. Are there two of them here? Are they sitting next to Doug? Are there 500? Are there 10? I, I don't know. The Bible just hasn't told us all of that. God hasn't, has, has, He's told us very little comparably about angels. In fact, in the Bible, there's only four that are ever, were ever given their name. Two that are elect and two that are evil. And the reality is, is that God has only given us some small glimpses into what heaven is like in just a few passages of Scripture. And I think He did that on purpose because we walk by faith. When we get there, we're going to experience it and it'll be amazing. But right now, we continue to walk by faith. But in our temptation to, to wonder what that's more like, it, it's easy for us to start speculating. And it's easy for other people that have speculated to come in and share false stories. In our life, it, it, it's with Jesus. And when He appears, he will also appear, we will also appear with Him in glory. But on, on this side of eternity... Our spiritual growth, it requires us to live by faith. As I mentioned, there are teachers inside the church and outside of it that are going to try to sell you more. They're going to come to you like they came to the church of Colossae and said, we got some stuff that goes beyond Jesus. Let us tell you about angels. Let us tell you about our visions. Let us tell you about all these new things that aren't in the Bible. There are people that are going to promote drugs that open your mind. You can experience, um, have experiences with demons who pretend to be angels of light. I have a relative that got into that world. He said it was like rubbing shoulders with all kinds of beings that were greater than I was. Some of them were like meter maids and some of them were something really scary. It's a reality. And, and there are people that promote this lifestyle and others that go into visions about what they've seen and they offer a promise of something new, something different, something that excites the senses. But Paul and Timothy continue and they, they say in verse 18 to the Colossians, let no one disqualify you. Understand, this is the second command in this passage. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Don't be deceived and don't be disqualified by those that try to sell you experience over Jesus. They're robbing you of the prize. That's what Paul says here. They're robbing you of the prize. And, and there are cults out there. There's a couple here in our town that have, have their buildings and they, move, they meet there. But there's also movements within so-called Christianity like the New Apostolic Reformation that's really grown over these last few years that are deceiving many and they're literally promoting these kinds of, of religious experiences and millions of people are dazzled by it. And he says, guard yourself against these deceivers. However, there are other ways 
there are other ways that, that we can ground our, our growth, our spiritual growth in experience instead of, of loving Jesus. It's, it's not always a, a cult. And it's not always experiences that are bad. In fact, there are a lot of experience in the, experiences in this life that are good, aren't they? Do we all like good experiences? We all have them every day. We have experiences. We have good ones. We have bad ones. A lot of those God puts in our life. And the Christian life has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And, and we can all tell stories about when we were moved to tears when we heard a new song by a new artist on the radio. And we listened to the words and, and it brought us to a point that we truly worshipped in a, a very meaningful way. I, I remember for me, my experience on Morrow Strand State Beach. It was soon after I'd finished that book I was talking about earlier and, and, and I, it was the moment that I said, God, I am going to walk with you. I'm going to live for you. Whatever you call me to do, wherever you ask me to go, I will obey you. I've been a Christian for eight years, but the experience there on that beach as I prayed to my God and as I worshipped Him all by myself out on the reef, it's etched in my mind. And I thank God for those moments. This week, uh, there are going to be several of you that are going to go down to Oklahoma with the VOM trip. And there are going to be a lot of high moments on that trip. Some moments that you're going to look back on. And, and, and I say, enjoy the wow moments. Enjoy it. God allows those moments, and they may be, and that He gives to us, enjoy them because they are a small taste of the glory that we will one day experience in heaven. But there's a danger. There's a danger in those moments in which we experience those highs and even those lows that we need to guard ourselves against. I want you to enjoy the moments, but embrace Jesus. Enjoy the experience that He allows you to have, but embrace Christ your Lord. We have to be careful lest the experience becomes the thing that we worship. And sometimes that experience itself can be like a drug. I have to continually pursue it because I'm worshiping it because I'm focused off of Jesus. Too many Christians have left the church because another church has come along that has a better band that, that plays more songs that I listen to on K-Love. Plus they have a smoke machine. And a pastor that wears jeans. Too many have lost their interest in church altogether because it just doesn't entertain them as if that's what God gave us the church for. Right? Too many Christians spend less than five minutes a week reading their Bibles because it doesn't always include the mountaintop experience. Many of you are, are Cubs fans, right? How many Cubs fans do we have? Oh, okay. Well, we're we're going, going south now. We got, we got somebody actually talking in church. Cubs fans. Okay, we got a few of them. Uh, a lot of you guys remember the 2003 playoff game in Wrigley Field? They were playing the Marlins in the championship. And the Cubs were leading the series... 3-2. And it was the 8th inning. They had a 3-0 lead in the 8th. They only needed 6 more outs and they'd get their shot at the World Series. And the Marlins' second baseman, Louis Castillo, he fouled a fastball to left field out to the wall. And Alou, the left fielder, jumped up and so did one of the fans. And the catch was blocked because the fan got in the way. And they both missed. The ball fell to the ground and the umpire called it a foul ball. He said there was no interference by the fans. And so the Marlins scored eight runs that inning. And the Cubs lost game six. And then they lost game seven. And they would have to wait another 13 years to break their 108-year drought. Cubs fans still consider it one of the greatest robberies of all of baseball history. 
Well, Colossians tells us and warns us of an even greater robbery. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He says, don't let somebody rob you of your prize. That's what he says here. That's the command. If you're going to put experience over Jesus, then you are being robbed of the prize. If you are grounding your spiritual growth in experience rather than out of your love for Christ, then you are being robbed of the prize. Enjoy the high moments when God brings them. Persevere when He allows the lowest moments that strengthen your faith and cause you to depend on Him. But through all of it, hold fast to Jesus who is the head. And then Paul uses this allegory of, of the head and the sinews and all the other parts of the body. It's not a biology lesson. He's just saying, look, you, you don't have the head controlling things, then nothing else works the way it's supposed to. We need to be connected to Jesus. All the other false teachers and those that are selling you experience over a relationship are just puffed up. And Colossians points out that they are not the spiritually elite, but they are inflated by their sensuous minds. And then Paul uses that analogy of the body with Christ as the head, and Jesus is the one who causes all things to grow, and Jesus is the one that causes them to grow God's way, not ours. Hold fast to Him. But also beware, truth number three, that growing, growth depends on ruling, excuse me, that growth depending on rules denies you of His power. You see, they were being fed a healthy dose of legalism through the rituals of the Jewish law. They were being um, taught and tempted with experiences of mysticism that promoted the worship of angels and these elaborate visions. But there was a third element of what was being offered to the Colossians by the false teachers, and that's that they were being sold a system of slavery to asceticism. It's a big word, I know. Okay, We'll, we'll talk about it here a little bit. It seems that these false teachers, that they were practicing some early forms of what we call Gnosticism. Uh, it was one, of the, one of the premises of this group was that uh, this, this teaching that, that anything that is spiritual and, and doesn't have a body is good, and everything that's, that is, is physical is evil. There was a dichotomy between anything that's material and non-material. And so... Um, thus, they promoted this religion that focused on denying oneself as much as possible of the things in this life that the body needs and the body wants. And so if food tasted good, bad. Sex, bad. Wealth and money, bad. Enjoying beauty of God's, the beauty of God's creation, bad. If it's physical, it's bad. And that's what was being taught in Colossae. In other words, the more you cause yourself to suffer and deny yourself any pleasure in life, the more spiritual you become even if those pleasures are blessed by God. And so in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20-23, to Paul reminds the church that they were created as physical beings and we need physical things to live. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus told the disciples, He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And here's how Colossians describes what the false teachers were saying. Verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? And here are some of the examples. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. So, asceticism teaches you to avoid handling certain things. Avoid tasting certain things. Avoid... avoid, um, 
touching certain things. And if you do these things, then you'll grow closer to God. You'll be more spiritual if you deny yourself certain physical things that they have on their list of rules of not to do. Last week, our youth group participated in our 30-hour famine. And the idea was it was a fast for a day and a half as a way of learning and being a part of, of, of seeing how the rest of our, many people throughout the rest of our world live. It was an opportunity to raise money for some children to feed them around the world. And they raised enough to feed 30 children for a good amount of time. How many? How many? How, what's that? $1,400. And how, how long does that feed one child? Yeah, so, for, so 40 children, 30 to 40 children uh, for a whole month. And, and so there, there, are times, there are times when denying ourselves and, and certain things can be beneficial. There are times when fasting can be beneficial to our prayer life. But understand that, that if we put these rules and these rituals and these experiences of denying ourselves ahead of Jesus, it is not going to make you a more righteous person than everyone else. Sometimes we, we grow to love things in this world too much and they, they become idols. I, I personally am a gamer. Uh, uh, video games, I uh, did a lot in high school. And uh, they're fun. But, but I came to a point earlier this last year, there was another game I started playing with my kids, and I came to a point and said, you know what? This is taking a place in my heart that is it's taking a place that is holding too much because that spot belongs to Jesus. And so I stopped playing Minecraft. You know, sometimes self-denial is a good thing. We need to do those things. The Bible teaches us this, but denying myself the enjoyment of playing a game is not going to make me more spiritual or more righteous than anyone else. But when we make that denial the focus of my spiritual growth, and my spiritual growth depends on the rules that I make for myself, we end up denying ourselves the power that God has given you for dealing with things that cause you to sin. Paul goes on verse 23, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. It, it looks good. In promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, people around the world, we look at monks and people that isolate themselves and say, I'm going to get away from the world. I'm going to go live here and, and be all by myself. And I'm going to focus on just my relationship with God. And we look at, at people like that and the world looks at people like that and go, wow, look at how they're denying themselves. Any human pleasure. And people say, they, they're really spiritual. Look at all that they've sacrificed. And to a certain degree, that kind of lifestyle looks like it will remove you from a lot of the temptations that we face in this world. It looks like wisdom. But that's not what God says. God says here in Colossians, you can remove yourself from the world as much as humanly possible. But no matter how much you are detached from society and detached from the rest of your culture, you are always still going to take the flesh and your propensity to sin with you. And so here's the crux of the issue. Asceticism and his effort to free the spirit from the prison of the body is never going to cause you to grow in your relationship with God. Removing temptations can be a good thing for us, sometimes something that we're, ca we're called to do intentionally, but if your spiritual growth is depending on those rules that you make for yourself and how you deny yourself and the sacrifices that you make rather than living in Christ, then you will never realize the power His Spirit provides to you for overcoming temptation. 
Colossians chapter 2 shows us these three ways that many people try to prove themselves to God. And a lot of Christians, even though they've come to faith and their faith is in Jesus, in their growth with Him and their walk with Him, they kind of try to imitate those same things oftentimes. They try to come up with those answers for their spiritual growth. And God says, no, they're, they're not going to help you grow. Ray Steadman once said, all these errors have one thing in common. They lose Christ. If you fall into any, you lose the vitality and the vigor of your Christian walk. Life becomes dull and often desperate. Many Christians discover this has happened to them. What they need to do is return to Jesus. When these things take over, even here in this place, return to Him. We must take care that every day we are in touch with our loving Lord and walking in fellowship with Him. He is the One who can develop the self-life and yet keep us from being captured by the great God's self. He will restore and comfort us when we fail and falter. And in submission to Him, we will find the freedom we seek. So Colossians chapter 2, it addresses the false teaching that was being taught there. But there's a fourth point, which is the answer to these false methods for spiritual growth. And that answer is going to be filled out throughout chapter 3, which we're not going to get to today. But allow me to leave you with just this, and then we'll take a sneak peek at verses 1-4 to briefly. Truth number four is this. Growth lived in Christ rewards you with treasure and glory. In closing, verses 1-4 through of the next chapter, which we'll look at next week. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for this relationship that we have with Him. And it's my prayer that each one of us would, would grow as we live in Christ. As we don't just have rituals that we follow, not just as we seek experiences, not just as we deny ourselves. Many of these things are part of our walk with You, but, but at, the, at the moment, those things become the focus. The moment we love those things more than we love Jesus. And that is when we rob ourselves of the prize. And so I pray that You would teach us to walk with Christ. Help us to love Him. Not just do devotions because we have to. Not just read our Bible because I have to. But because I love Jesus, might it draw me to all of these things that bring about great growth, great worship, and great glory to You. Which one day we will share as we experience You face to face. And as we speak to Jesus, face to face. We thank You for this time. Pray as we go out from here that You would be honored. The things we do, the things we say, the way we think, the way we walk, might it all be done in a way that we embrace Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please stand.